culture. I, I, I do this for my culture. Black culture and hip hop culture. <laughs> it's Corners of the Culture with D-Lo and KC. Thank you for downloading the latest episode, Kanye free episode of Corners of the Culture. <laughs> I'm D-Lo, he's KC. Yes, sir. And this podcast is meant to touch on every aspect that makes up our culture, black culture, and hip-hop culture. We appreciate you so much for being with us, downloading, rating, uh, subscribing, uh, doing all that great stuff. Uh, I promise, man, no more no more Kanye, man. We're on to bigger and better things. We are on to bigger and better things, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and bigger and better is our guy, Jonathan Abrams. He wrote for uh, Grantland. He wrote uh, All the Pieces Matter, a... Uh, oral history on the wire and he tapped that oral history bag again uh with the come up it is uh the definitive look at the history of hip-hop first man congrats on the book man i had a chance to finish this this morning that's a really extraordinary piece of work man it's incredible man i appreciate it uh getting through it all is a is a task man so <laughs> thanks to you for getting through it's like 500 plus pages so thank you well, I'm a, I'm an audiobook guy, so um, I just I, I love the history of hip hop, and I love the way you formatted the book. Like when the book started, I I was telling KC this story earlier. I was like, man, he they're really burning through like some content here pretty quickly. And then as you like you then you got into the eras and the regions, and I was like, oh oh, this is perfect. This is so good. And I tweeted you this earlier how you. You hit the West Coast hip hop and, you know, the chronic and, and, and doggy style and that emergence of, of of the West Coast right there and how it exploded on the hip hop scene and how that influenced kind of the resurgence of New York with Ready to Die and Illmatic and, you know, Reasonable Doubt came out, you know, in, in, in 96. I thought that was just an incredible structure on your part. I appreciate that because structuring, first of all, I'll take it back to when. I came up with this idea and I have journalism friends and, you know, I talked to them They're like, what you working on? Oh, I think I'm going to try to do a oral history of, of hip hop and hip hop's rise. And, you know, you see the, the eyebrows grow up and uh, the, the people kind of look at you a little awkward. And I'm thinking like, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a huge task and a huge mm -hmm. undertaking. I don't know if I appreciated how much it was until I actually got toward the end of this thing. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting into, uh, you know, we always try to feel like, you know, it was just around the corner when, when, when hip hop started and all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. We getting up there, Jonathan, we like almost what, 50 years in at this next year's 50th anniversary. And there's been so much that's gone on in the, the story of hip hop and the history of hip hop. And like, what was going through this book? Like, what was the, the, you, one of your more favorite parts of, of, of eras that you went through? Yeah. So, yeah, hip hop is definitely in middle age now, and I think it's 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 pretty cool because if you look at other musical genres like uh, rock and roll or jazz, and they stretch back so far, but for hip hop, you know, there's still a lot of the originators and the bricklayers still around. Mm -hmm. So that was one reason why I wanted to to do this book because you can really go back to the beginning. And how many musical genres can you do that with? Yeah. So. Uh, there's there's so much that stuck out to me while researching this book. I feel like every conversation I learned something different. And that's one of the cool things when you're writing books, especially on subjects that you're passionate about. You can go in with 
a lot of information and a good base, which I felt like I definitely had. But when you're talking to people who lived it, who breathed it, who experienced it firsthand, who cultivated it and molded it to what it is today, you're bound to learn more. So whether it was talking to people who you know, wrote the message and what they were thinking about coming out with that song in 1982 when hip hop was mostly uh, party songs up to that point and how they basically started social conscious uh, hip hop and using it as a vessel to hold it up to society and taking it hip hop in that direction. That was really interesting to me. Or I grew up in the West Coast during the early 90s. So Tupac is number one of my number ones. And (laughs) talking to people who had worked with him, who had uh, you know, hung out with him, who had influenced him was really something that, that I held close to heart. Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk about Pac. I think you, I think you interviewed, was it, it was a young lady. Was it his manager? Yeah. Lila Steinberg. Yeah. She had me in my feelings. Listen to her talk about Pac, like li- li- listening, listening to her words. They, they had me in my feelings a little bit, but let's stay Let's stay, you know, kind of back in that area. You were talking about the message and really like the start of this. And I'm always interested to hear like the different angles. Kenny and I did a podcast on this um, a couple of weeks ago about kind of the complicated nature of Rapper's Delight and and the Sugar Hill Gang uh, overall. Like as you and, and, that's a, and that's a big part of your book as you were formulating that part. How do you walk away from like understanding what rapper's delight means to hip hop, but also knowing that the guys who kind of birthed this genre always look at it a little bit sideways. It's an interesting dichotomy, right? And I feel like that's almost the way with hip hop is today, just to expand on that a little bit. So rapper's delight, when that came out in 1979, it was this big behemoth of a song. And for a lot of people in America, it was their introduction to hip hop. It was the first hip hop song that really made it onto vinyl. The catch 22 with that, though, was that a lot of the pioneers had already been doing hip hop for four or five years. And Sugar Hill Gang was basically this group that was manufactured by Sylvia Robinson with the purpose of putting out this song and getting hip hop on the radio. And the pioneers, they felt that it was elementary and they had already surpassed what was being done by Rapper's Delight. So they held it against Sugar Hill Gang because they felt like they had all almost go back and retrain themselves to do something that was now more popular and and new in the eyes of others who were being introduced to this genre for the first time, but they felt they had surpassed that. And I think there's a correlation with what's going on in today's music, right? Because a lot of the most popular music isn't the music that's going to get, you know, the most listens to for their lyrics, or it's not going to be dissected like how we were dissecting Nas or Tupac back in the day. It's going to be music that is mumble rap or trap music or music that's going to, you know, more of a vibe than any type of digestible Mm -hmm. lyrics. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the more things change, the more they stay the same. (laughs) You you know, fellas, when you think about Rapper's Delight, like I said, just hearing some of the stuff when we had the conversation about it before, Here's a correlation that you guys tell me if I'm a little bit off, just a little bit off, but I think it works. We're sports guys, right? And I think about Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson wasn't the best player in the Negro Leagues. He was, there was, he was a good ball player, but he wasn't the best. There were far better players in the Negro League, but he was the right player. You know what I mean? And that's what I think about with Rapper's Delight. They're better rappers at the time. And for one reason or another, whether they didn't get approached or maybe – we talked about some of them got approached and said, I don't want nothing to do with this. 
they weren't the right people at the time. And they, the, the, the Sugar Hill gang, they just, whether they were formed or they were organic, they formed together at the right time to come up with the right song for what hip hop was ready to, the, the next step it was ready to take. Casey, I think that's a great point. And I, I never even thought about it from that perspective, but you're 100% right. And even in saying that and, and talking about Rapper's Delight, I don't want to take away from that song. That song was catchy as hell, right? <laughs> Damien, Damien, was it catchy? No, the song, I've all, I've all, the song, it was, it, yes, the song was catchy. Like I, <laughs> We yeah. talk about this all the time, Jonathan. He, and, I, and to his defense, I think he, he, he hates, the story behind it. And, and and we came down to the end of this, right? Like even more so, even more than the story behind it. I think what we get out of that and what frustrates Damien and others the most is the people in the Sugar Hill gang don't just say what it was. Like there's always got to be some extra little sauce on it or they're, no, I didn't, I didn't steal anybody's opportunity or they're like, just. They got these LeBron James level lies that everyone looks at. Like, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) tell the story, you'll be fine. Yeah, you took that from DJ Hollywood. Like, we all know this. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't lie. (laughs) Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. But to have a 15 minute song back then where everybody knew their lyrics, and I'm sure you know people of our generation, everybody knows the lyrics to Rapper's Mm -hmm. Delight. That's that's staying power. Yeah, no, there's 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 no doubt. And, and you know, it, I mean, it, it, it speaks to, you know, the importance of Sylvia Robinson to this whole story, like to 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 like she she had a vision and it's not, you know, and this is something, you know, we tried to to lay out like it, she went to, uh, you know, love bug Starsky, like she went to the names that the streets knew and they all said no. So she went and found these dudes in Jersey to do it like that's not her fault. Like she she got people to do it uh, and it worked. Can you imagine hip hop at that point, just them doing this in the streets and at parks and at parties, not thinking that it had the power to translate onto radio? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, wow. that's where this thing started. Yeah, there was a, there was a line from someone in the book who and, and, and I've never computed this in the emergence of hip hop, but he said there's there's no you know, there was no Jordan. There was no Spike Lee. There was no Oprah. So. Black radio personalities were the like stars that black people looked up to. Yeah. And so much of rapping and using the term rapping was taken from like guys like Frankie Crocker, who was covered a lot in the book and, and Mr. Magic and different, you know, black radio personalities of the time. They had a way of talking. And that was what you heard in, in the streets. That's what you heard at Harlem World. That's what you heard at the clubs. And I had never computed that before. The fact that there was no Jordan, that there was no big marquee black celebrity um, for these hip hop artists to gravitate towards is that, 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 that was just something I had never computed before. And that's why somebody like Grandmaster Kaz of the Cold Crush Brothers who had his lyrics, some of his lyrics appropriated for Rapper's Delight, he was really viewed as one of the early goats and he was making it up as he was going along. So that's why it was important for me to give somebody like him his credit and his due in this book. Yeah. So coming coming from all that and then to the point where hip hop takes another step, right? Is there anyone that we're missing before we say run DMC or is run DMC the group that took it to another level of commercial appeal? Kind of the forefathers of what we see today almost. 
Yeah, I think it's Run DMC. You want to give Curtis Blow some credit as well. Mm, nah, he, came, no. he came right before Run DMC, but it's that whole you know, Def Jam conglomerate coming on the hills in, in 1984. Or so really crossing this thing over to a white audience. Yeah. And once and real quick then, once again, that's also a timing thing as well. Because Run DMC and I love them. I keep I hate that I keep saying this. Weren't the best rappers. They weren't the best rap group, but they came along when MTV started coming along and the notoriety and everything. It was just the perfect timing. And and they were good at what they did too. They they came from the streets. They had that respect um from from the streets that maybe some in the Sugar Hill gang did get. But timing is something that we see all the time in life. And it's no different in the history of hip hop. They they were huge because I would say that they had the first hip hop aesthetic that we know. And DMC in the book explained this to me that I'd never heard in a way before. So the early rap groups, they were dressing like the, the funk bands in these outlandish costumes and crazy outfits because those were the heroes that they knew. They had mm-hmm. no other rap stars to look up to. But DMC was like, listen, thinking of dressing up like Grandmaster Kez or somebody else in that way was outlandish. I wanted to look like how Kaz looked when he stepped out on the stoop. And for them, it was the Lee Jeans and the Kangos and the Adidas and the hip hop aesthetic that, that Run DMC put together. Yeah, and that's the, and that feels like it's the combo of uh, Russell Simmons and then Rick Rubin. I mean, Rick Rubin created a sound that, you know, that had a, <laughs> it had like a rock feel to it. Mm-hmm. And that helped, you know, Kenny just talking about MTV coming around, that helped the segue to MTV because although it was hip hop, it sounded like that familiar rock music. So if, I, I think Rockbox was the first rap video played on MTV. And then, you know, the, the, the whole game changes when Walk This Way comes out like a, a year or two later. Yeah. I also don't want to leave out Larry Smith, who was one of, Run DMC's early producers, he was really vital in their early sound as well. Uh, he's another guy who doesn't get the the credit he deserves. But Rick Rubin, his whole mentality was that he wanted to get hip hop to translate to that that park feeling, right? Like it was starting to go more Planet Rock with the 808, and he wanted to take it back to how it felt at the parks. Yeah, Planet Rock, which is fire, by the way. Like to this day, I remember I was watching something. One of these hip hop documentary shows or something like that. And they dropped the beat on Planet Rock. And I said, oh my gosh, it still hits to this day. Fire. <laughs> it, it really does. And it's crazy to me that, that that was the type of hip hop that gravitated to Los Angeles first, right? Mm-hmm. Like people think like NWA was the genesis of, of hip hop in Los Angeles and California, but really it was the, the Planet Rock, Africa Bombada 808s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's something that I learned for the first time in 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 the come up. I didn't know that that's the, the like and and now like it makes so makes so much sense when you think about the mixes and you think about you know that almost that um like L.A. Dream Team type sound of er, of 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 early hip hop in Los Angeles. Like it makes so much sense that it came from you know Africa Bombada. I had never I had never put that together myself i never heard that before un, un, until the book and then there was this moment as i was like oh of course like that's th- that makes complete sense i had never i didn't know that yeah egyptian lover was yeah that's the other one i was trying to well. think of yeah 
Yeah, and you know, you, we t- you you talk about the parks and 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 Harlem World and 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 you know the, the fifteen twenty Sedgwick Ave and how important that is, you know, to 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 hip hop to the birth of hip hop to New York. Well, you had West, and you talk about um, uh, Planet Rock coming over and the importance of Eve After Dark into you know the the emergence of hip hop culture out here. Yeah, and it's it's funny because talking about Planet Rock and that influence, I'm thinking about how Eve After Dark had the World Class Wrecking Crew, which was the predecessor for NWA, and they were in the the sequin jackets, and you know that whole aesthetic really really shifts in a really really quick amount of time, where it goes from disco to the electro hip hop music to NWA. Did you did you find that? Um during your research that uh, it's hard to say, I don't, I don't want to disparage another area, but was the West coast really the, the first major region that said, all right, we see this thing called hip hop. We about to, we're we're diving in and we're going to have our style, right? Like off the top of my head, I feel like maybe like Florida might've had their, started their own little sound early too, but it feels like LA was the first, everything before it felt like at least everything was, New York hip hop, everything come from New York. And it felt like LA with NWA, Planet Rock, all this. They came and said, Oh, hip hop, all right, we're we're gonna do that over here too. Was it was it West Coast and LA was first? If I would have had more time, I probably would have dived more into the history of Philadelphia hip hop, mm. just because I think the proximity to New York that they were getting mm. it real, real quick on the hills. And there's an argument to be made that graffiti originated in Philadelphia. Mm. I think gangster rap with Schooly D and PSK, what does it mean? Really started that subgenre in Philadelphia. And you look at the DJs that have come out of Philadelphia between DJ Jazzy Jeff and DJ Code Money they've been originators there for a while. So I don't mm-hmm. think you can take away anything from Philadelphia. They had pop art, I think was the early label that started in Philadelphia. Yeah. And that you talk about uh, how stuff is influenced today, man. I've been on this the thing of learning about Jean-Michel Basquiat over the last like year or so. And his influence on like early hip hop, like everybody knows Fat Five Freddy part of that because Fat Five Freddy's still here. But he Basquiat was just as big of a part of that New York art scene and that 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 early hip hop scene uh, as Fat Five Freddy was. Yeah, he was a early tagger and he was at a lot of those early parties. People people knew him by his tag name more than his name. But then he was also supposed to be in Blondie's Rapture. Either he was supposed to be or he did have a cameo. I forget which one it was, but he was right up in that scene and in that mix in the early 80s. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things, and Damien kind of kind of alluded to it a little bit, but one of the things that seems to be a common theme in the history of hip-hop for me, and this is no different than basketball maybe, right, is New York, New York City and New Yorkers. They love to tell you they're New Yorkers. They love to tell you what they did. And, and one of the things that's happened in hip-hop is it started in New York. They always love to tell you we birthed hip hop and all this other stuff. And the second somebody rises up, that usually brings up their competitive spirits to try to bring it back to New York. And it seems like they Damien brought it up that, you know, with the West Coast and the Chronic did their thing. They're like, oh, that's cool. Well, you, yeah, 
let's get it back to the birthplace. You're Rick Rubin. Let's bring it back to the to the birthplace uh, of hip hop. And we look at that currently, and it seems like they haven't been able to bring it back yet. <laughs> South got a hold of it. They haven't been able to get it back yet. <laughs> I know. Chael Hadari Coker, who used to write for The Source and is a brilliant journalist and TV showrunner, he summed it up in a perfect way for me for this book. He almost described New York City as Wakanda, right, in, in Black mm-hmm. Panther, where inside of Wakanda, you're going to have all these different factions warring at each other. But whenever somebody from the outside comes to try to rise up against you, all the factions are going to rise up together as one. <laughs> so that's all the boroughs of New York. And I thought that, that was a perfect summation for it. It has been a while, though. Yeah. It has been a while, though. You know, I think that, that the South just has n- strength in numbers. They're like the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> they, <laughs> you know? it's true. It's true. But you you want to know what? Here's the crazy thing, because I was with a couple of New Yorkers over the weekend and we we're having this conversation. The ironic thing about this is, and I don't know what this means for them. It don't bother me at all. But their leaders are women. And that is the issue. Cardi and Nick are the biggest stars that they've had out of New York since 50 Cent, probably. And they're like, oh, yeah, we got to bring New York back. Well, New York's here. You got Cardi and Nikki. But they they don't seem to want to embrace that aspect of it for whatever reason. Well, that's that's one side. And I think the the other flip side of that, too, is that it, it would you argue that Takashi is probably their biggest male hip hop star to come out in the last. And I don't I use that term loosely, but yeah, I mean, it's Takashi or in the other the, the big what if is Pop Smoke. Because Pop Smoke finally gave New York a different sound than everybody else. He had a buzz. Who knows if he was going to be like Fetty Wap and just die out after the first, no pun intended, but it was going to fade out after, um, you know, the first album or so, or if he was going to take it to a whole nother level. But he was the guy, it seemed like, who was about to get them back going again, get them back on the map. And unfortunately, um, he he was taken out. So. So so I'm curious about this. What do you guys think New York has to do to to regain that title? And do you think New York will be able to to get it back? Well, first of all, I watched the season finale of Raising Cane and 50 Cent is still the biggest star in New York right now. <laughs> that, that was that, that's where it's at. He's just shifted his focus <laughs> elsewhere. Um, I mean, every region needs a transcendent star, right? Like I. I I think that's all it takes. It needs that transcendent sorrow, that transcendent album. That's what for, for, for me, when I look at regions, you know, ready to die in, 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 in 90, 93, 94, that's, that's, that's what that was for New York. But, but the chronic and, and for me, and some will argue against this, but Southern playlistic Cadillac music for mm-hmm. outcast introduced me to Atlanta, mm-hmm. like that, that, that form of Atlanta hip hop. So I, I, it, 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 just takes one to me jonathan it just takes that one that one star with the right sound let me ask you guys this do you think that it's too difficult to get it back in this day and age because there is no new york sound anymore you can be from atlanta and have a new york sound or vice mm-hmm. versa mm-hmm. i think i think you're just spot on and that's where i go with pop smoke even though some would say he got the the drill and everything a little bit from london i think they say some of that was coming from that hip-hop scene but that almost was, and now you see like Fabio Foreign doing it. That sounds like a new sound that we hadn't heard around the country yet that was sounding like it was exclusive to New York. And I, I think that's what had people excited and buzzing. It was like a new sound, at least in the States, that New York had kind of called their own. 
and it had people buzzing, had people going. And I just, like I said, I, I don't want to make too much about pop, but it felt like he was the the leader of that at the time. And, you know, with him not being there, I don't know if they still are able to keep that going and keep that buzz going. I don't know if hip hop music is even made like that anymore, though, because the stuff that the stuff that solidifies your region was all, all often had this kind of like grimy feel to it. Right now that there were there were, you know, mainstream records like like Juvenile and and and, and, and some of the, the masterpiece stuff like you knew what that was. But, you know, New York was de- de- defined by like Illmatic and some of those 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 grimier sounds. I don't even think music is made like that anymore. Yeah. Music is made for Instagram or TikTok or, you know, downloads. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's essentially, I feel like all hip hop is pop music now. Mm. Especially when you have you know, somebody like Ariana Grande doing trap music. <laughs> oh, <laughs> who, who was doing, it was uh, Miley Cyrus when she was <laughs> in her J's and, and had a song with three, six. It was like, okay, all right, what, what are we doing here? But, but can you picture, Wu-Tang Clan coming out of anywhere else but New York in the early 1990s. No, 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 not even, not even close. But you know what? That's, that's also, it's not even, in my opinion, not even necessarily an indictment on New York City. It's just kind of the way of the world. Like New York City and I'm from Sacramento, California. And that seemed like a completely different world in 1993 like oh my gosh like what staten island brooklyn like these are things that you only saw on mtv like this is crazy now i can go on the what's new york instagram page and see it's right there it's right there for me all the time and i can talk to these people from new york on twitter and instagram and tiktok all these like it it doesn't seem like this far away place anymore and vice versa the way people probably felt about la on the East coast. Like it was like, Oh my gosh, LA, all the Hollywood star. Like, no, I see all the Hollywood stars every single moment of the day on Instagram. So it's almost a sign of like, um, it's hard to have your own sound anymore. Right. Cause everything is so close and so connected nowadays. It feels like it is. And once you, even if you come up with your new sound, there's going to be a million other replicate replicating mm-hmm. it right after that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, technology has made the price of entry really, really simple now. To where it, it's a good thing because you know now somebody you know in their basement at home can come up with a a song that's gonna be the the summer anthem, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The growth of hip hop isn't a bad thing. Like stuff evolves, like it changes. It's not gonna evolve the same way it did from Grandmaster Kaz and the Cold Crush Brothers to Run DMC, you know, to Big and Pac. Like it evolves in a different way now, and now just hip hop is enormous, headed into its fiftieth birthday. It's just a, it's just an enormous thing. Is there a region, Jonathan, that you never got into? Yeah, there were there were a lot of regions that I would. First of all, real quick before you answer that, where are you from, Jonathan? I'm from Southern California. Oh, okay. About 45 minutes outside of Los Angeles, okay. out in the Inland Empire. Aye, all right. So Pomona, sugar free, above the law. Free is a sugar free. Yo, there's some good stuff in there about above the law too, and 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 the the origins of the G funk sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another one of those uh, debated origin stories where you know, according to members of Above the Law, Dr. Drake kind of just beat them to 
to launch date, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they crafted that that sound first. But yeah, I'm, so you look at the history of hip hop in 50 years and there's just so much to cover and so much ground to try to work through that. Yeah, there was stuff that I had to you know, either briefly acknowledge or, or regions I tried to skip over. But I really I had like a, a list of like a hundred tentpole slash milestone moments that I knew that I wanted to try to hit in the book. And then I also wanted to try to stay malleable to the interviews that I was getting to be able to tell these almost individual stories inside of this grander story. Hmm. Oral histories are fascinating, like in how you format those. Like it's just it's it's such a different like I, I imagine as a writer, it's just such a different approach to writing a book. It is. And it's funny because I've I've obviously written, you know, traditional narrative books and articles and oral histories. And, you know, anybody who has any doubts, oral histories are so much more difficult because you have to rely on your interviewee and the stuff that you're getting from them to fuel that narrative. You can't just rely on your own words. If you're writing your own story and if you're stuck on a transition, you can say, hey, I can write this transition myself. But when you're relying on other people, <laughs> you're really hamstrung by what you can get or not get. I got a, a question for you. It may, may sound a little weird. Hopefully it works out, though. Who do you think the biggest star there has ever been in hip hop? Not the best rapper, not because I think not the most selling star. Like Jay Z is there. I don't know if Jay Z is a bigger star than Biggie or Tupac, for example. Like, who do you think is the biggest star in hip hop history? That's a really good question. Biggest star, I immediately go to somebody who's acted. That, that, that's, well, a, you, that's exactly what I was what thinking. You say Tupac. Like, that's my answer right now. I think, oh, Tupac. no. I would have said Tupac if he would have, I think, see, there's an argument to be made that Tupac would be a bigger actor right now if he had lived other than a rapper. And I definitely think he was hidden in that direction, but I don't think he was with us long enough to, to make that imprint yet. That's. Who do you think? I'm going to say, I'm going to say Jay-Z. I'm going to say Jay-Z. For, okay. for just being somebody who's been able to be at the forefront of pop culture for as long as he has for as many decades. And I think every time hip hop reaches a new level or new pinnacle, he's at that. He's yeah. leading the charge and taking hip hop in different directions. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go Jay-Z. I'm interested in hearing your guys. Answers. You got that Beyonce rub, too, by the way. That helps out. Yeah, that can't hurt. <laughs> Who'd you think, Dame? Because you, you squashed the Tupac, though. Well, what do you think? As soon as you said it, I knew I knew what my answer was. Hmm. You, the, the question is the biggest star in hip Will Smith. Oh yeah. I don't know. The- how many of these people look at Will Smith as a rapper? Well, see, see that's 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 what I mean. He's gotten so big. At, he's gotten such. It's like The Rock. Like every he knows he's but I guarantee you there are people who why do they call him the rock? I don't understand. Where did the rock name come from? He's so big, people aren't gonna remember him as a professional wrestler. I think the same thing is true for Will Smith. He's so big. The, the, yo, Will Smith was instrumental in in hip hop on MTV because of his mm-hmm. look, mm-hmm. because of you know, parents just don't understand and 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 that video and it was fun and they felt like it wasn't dangerous and like he was a he was a star out of the gate and then you talk about Fresh Prince of Bel Air like I, I, to me it's it's Will Smith. I understand what you're saying and you're not wrong, 
The only thing I'll say is if you ask 25 people right now, what is Will Smith? Well, the don't get mad at me because they don't know their history. You oh, ask the actor. You ask people today what Tupac is, even though he was in movies and almost 10 movies, maybe. I don't know. They'd say a rapper. Now, the fact that he didn't live long enough, maybe he would have went the exact same route as Will Smith and never really done music and only done motion pictures. But he's generally looked at as a rapper. Will Smith is now looked at as an actor and has been for some time. So where where would you leave for both of you? Where would you guys rank LL Cool J in this question? So mm-hmm. this is kind of where the origins of the question came from. Because I say all the time, I feel like LL Cool J is slightly disrespected as one of the greats to, to ever do it. Um, he also turned into an actor or whatever. You know, I was having this conversation over the weekend, actually, and somebody made a, a good point. It's not the, sh- the sheer volume. It's not the same way. But they said L Cool J was the first Drake. Like, the first, yeah. like, he could rap. The ladies loved him. He was the coolest guy out there. They said he was the first Drake. I think I think L Cool J... And you talk about the name too, L Cool J. Like that, it's almost like Snoop Dogg, right? Like that is yeah. everybody knows. Um, man, is, is it safe to say top five? When you talk about star and he's acted and all this other stuff, top top five biggest star ever? Yeah, yeah, I think so, without a doubt. Will, Will Smith, I don't know if my my brain was numbing him out because of where he's at right now with, because of the slap. But yeah, he, he would definitely be the biggest star in my, yes. in my well, mind. I, I, right actor. That's, that's, I mean, that's the right answer. I, I, I hear you. I think the reason you numbed him out is actually what, what Kenny said. I think we look at him first as an actor, forgetting how he got to this level of stardom. Mm-hmm. Like we forget yeah. about girls ain't nothing but trouble and, 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 and the IRS trouble and all, and, and, and the, you know, those, those, those humble beginnings, I guess, for him. But the the crazy thing with him and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is that when Jazzy Jeff was on that show, like people didn't know his background and really appreciate who he was, but he's looked at as one of the goats of turntablism. Will talking about Jazzy Jeff and his book is pretty amazing. He just like how he, he, he's just, he's a DJ on a level that like he spends his entire day every day, like listening to music and figuring out how music goes together across genres. And that's why he's been like, as, as you said, he is the, just universally looked at as one of the greatest DJs of all time. And DJs were always first at that time. DJ yeah. Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, you know, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. DJs were always first. Yeah. And talk about impact. The the double album that they did was a first in hip hop. And mm. a, a lot of DJs learned turntablism off of DJ Jazzy Jeff's album with the Fresh Prince. I loved you acknowledge this at the beginning of your book, because like I've, I've always said this tool, too, and it makes, you know, it's like the least cool thing that you can say is. Yeah, I really wish it was NWA, especially when you're in California. Like, I wish it was NWA and straight out of Compton that got me into hip hop. Like, it wasn't like I, I didn't listen to that. Like, I, I couldn't relate to that. And, and you know, for me, like my mom wasn't buying me that. It was actually DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince that did it. And that's what introduced me into hip hop when I was like seven years old or whatever it was. And then that's how I got on to Yo MTV raps and run DMC. And then the, you know, the NWA and ice cube stuff came along a few years later. But for me, my intro 
I'll always be grateful to DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince because that was my he's the DJ. I'm the rapper was my introduction into hip hop. Yeah, it's almost like you get that. It's almost like you get that introduction and then it pulls you in and then you you go back and you just Mm -hmm. learn and soak up all this history and knowledge. And for me, that person was Tupac. Even I think I was too young to really appreciate or get to know NWA in real time. And, you know, I had one of those moms who if she saw a parental advisory sticker, that thing was going back to the store. So I had to be clever and find my hiding places as as I got older to to be able to listen. Hey, Jonathan, where do you look at hip hop right now today in 2022? You know, there's a lot of people who are are frustrated with hip hop who don't like the direction that it's gone. And I understand that because I'm almost 40 years old and some of the people I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what what are we doing here? But I also remember, like, I love my R&B too, right? And people are like always constantly, oh, don't nobody make R&B music no more. Actually, they do. (laughs) Like, you might not hear it on the radio, but it is out there in abundance of making R&B music that, that we grew up loving and at the time you might hear on the radio i feel it's the same with hip-hop i ain't talking about nothing in hip-hop no more no actually there's a lot of people who are out there giving bars and you know and having having uh you know deep deep songs that make you think and you know wordplay and all this other stuff but maybe it don't get played on the on the radio the way um nba young boy is or something like that like where do you think hip-hop is right now i agree with those sentiments wholeheartedly I think the one thing that's been true of hip hop from the beginning up until this point is that it's been a genre that's been propelled by the youngest subset of that uh, consumer. Mm. So whatever's going to be popular with the young crowd is what's going to be what's going to be made the most and what's going to be listened to the most. The frustrating thing and also the great thing about that is it's going to keep changing, keep evolving. It's one reason why I think hip hop is always going to be really, really popular because it keeps changing. It's never stagnant. And, you know, are, is there the music of that nineties, Nas, Tupac, Biggie, Wu-Tang, DJ quick can go on and on and on that I'm going to consume and listen to 24 seven. You know, probably not, but I can still listen to somebody like Kendrick and, and see the direct correlation, direct relationship from somebody like Tupac. I can listen to other people. It's just discovering it. But some of these, you know, new hits that are being made today, they're going to be the hits that my kids are going to listen to 20 years down the road when they're going to be complaining about the state of hip hop. So, you know, it just goes round and round and round. Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned Pac and I want to, I want to reference this before we go is I, I had never heard this line before. And I, and I really thought it was incredible that someone said, someone in the book said, there's, there's two Tupacs, there's Tupac before Bishop. And then there's Tupac after Bishop. And they were clear to say that's not because he was a star, became a bigger star. He said people started treating Tupac like he was Bishop Hmm. and that changed him. And that was a that I thought that was a that was a stunning line to hear, because when you think about Tupac's pattern of behavior, you know, there's the the uh, you know, the Greg Mack story, Greg Mack pulling up, you know, seeing Pac pull up. Hey, Pac, what's happening? And Pac just looking at him like, yo. You know, who the fuck are you? And his man going, hey, that's 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 Greg Mack. And then Tupac. Oh, and then the story, you know, Greg Mack tells accompanying that. I thought I thought that was a, a, a tremendous. I thought that was an amazing way to describe Tupac Shakur. Yeah. And that was Faye Duvernay, one of the early employees at Interscope who worked 
Tupac's first album and did the tour with him. And I think that movie came out when he was on that tour. So he saw firsthand how people started acting once Tupac came around pre Bishop and post Bishop. And his, yeah, his whole thing was that it wasn't Tupac who necessarily changed, but people around him started treating him like he was this character from a a movie Mm -hmm. and a crazy character from a movie at that. Mm -hmm. I, I always thought too, real quick with that is a lot of people believe that, um, Tupac changed when he got with Death Row, where Suge got him out and he felt th- there was two stories, right? There's two ways of looking at it. Suge got him out and he started to do the same thing Suge did as a loyalty to the guy that got him out. You know, he's all right, I'm, I'm running with Suge. I'm going to do what Suge does. And he changed in that respect. There's a lot of people that feel like he got out and he played a role almost to, to get out. Like he had to get Suge to trust him and get it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to come out. I'm going to be your Tupac, your death row Tupac. But as soon as that's done, I'm going to go back to what I normally do. I just needed to do this to get out. Do you think either one of those are true? Do you fall on, on either one of those where he actually morphed into something for real, or he just kind of played a role to get through what he had to get through? That's a really good question. I get the impression that he was probably kind of stepping into that role post Bishop. And once he got to, death row was probably all for it. I had mm. people in this book tell me that the greatest thing that he wanted to do was just work with Dr. Dre because Dr. Dre was obviously the hottest mm. producer at that time. And Suge Knight was just anybody who wasn't at death row wasn't working with Dr. Dre. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, I feel like we could, you know, do this all day. Um, we appreciate you so much for your time. Like I, I, I still have notes on like E40 and too short and independent hip hop and all of that. But uh, I got, I got one, all the pieces matter question before you go. Uh, I had the opportunity to talk to you after that book came out. If you're a fan of the wire, this is you, you've got to read this. It's an oral history on all uh, on the wire. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. I asked you this question. You didn't, you, it wasn't in the book. And if you don't know the answer, it's 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 going to die with Michael K. Williams. <laughs> Do you know why Omar whispered Farmer in the Dell? I feel like I learned about it while reporting the book, but that answer is not on the tip of my tongue. So what's going to happen is that y'all are going to have to have me on here again. <laughs> I'm going to be prepared for that question. We're going to we're going to tease the audience with that one. Absolutely. So check out the next time I'm on here. It's 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 it's, it's an incredible book. I actually started rewatching The Wire and then just kind of following along with the book, just much like much like uh, the come up man. And, and and I'll say this: I love history. I love the the, the history of music. The, the come up is the definitive history of hip hop. Like if you want to learn about this genre, this is the book you go to, man. So again, congratulations! Man, phenomenal job, man. Man, I appreciate you guys so much, and. You know, I wrote this book for people like y'all, so it means a lot. Trust me, it means a lot. 